0: That question from Captain John Miller, kind of in the middle of the movie Saving Private Ryan is where I want to start today. When's the last time you felt good about anything? Now, hopefully on a weekend like this, you're feeling pretty good at least about something. It's graduation weekend for a lot of uh, local schools. Maybe you're feeling good about celebrating a graduate. It's a Memorial Day weekend, a three-day weekend, the unofficial start of summer. Maybe you're feeling good about that. That, of course, means it's less than 100 days to college football season. Maybe you're feeling good about that. All sorts of things to be feeling good about. But here's the problem. Sometimes we use good things like three-day weekends and summer vacations and sports. We use it as a way of escaping reality. And here's part of the reality for every single one of us in this room. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, a church person or not. Every single one of us has something in our life that we don't feel very good about. And and these things can cause us to end up feeling trapped in negative thought patterns, negative behavior patterns. I mean, we might have a hundred things going on in our life that we feel good about, but we spend almost a 100% of our emotional and mental energy focusing in on the one thing we do not feel good about. But what if, what if it was possible to have the freedom to experience good things in life, even when it's not a three-day weekend or summer vacation? What if we had the freedom to experience good things in life, even when there are things in this world and in our life that are not good? Here's where I want us to start today. Um, a verse in Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The picture is of a cemetery overlooking uh, the beaches of Normandy. In the spring of 1990, it was my senior year of high school, and I got to go to France for a couple of weeks and tour all over the country, you see all the sights in Paris. We spent a week with a host family going to school at a French school. But the highlight of the trip for me, even at 18, was going to Normandy and just kind of immersing myself in the history of what happened there in June of 1944 with the D-Day invasion. First time I watched this movie, Saving Private Ryan, I remember just staying in my seat as the credits started to roll at the end of the movie and just sobbing. It's an incredible movie. It's not a family movie by any stretch of the imagination. And um, it's really well made. It was nominated for an Academy Award. Somehow Shakespeare and Love beat it. I don't know how that works. But it it does, I think, a, a I think a beautiful job and at the same time a horrible job of helping us think about just the realities of war and the sacrifices made by so many men and women, probably men and women in your family, to enable us to experience the freedom we enjoy. And so on a weekend like this, on a a holiday like Memorial Day, it's important for us to pause and to remember and to be grateful and to honor those sacrifices. It's also a good time for us to remember that there is a freedom that is richer, a freedom that is deeper than the freedom that gets won on a military battlefield. There's a freedom that is eternal. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Paul writes that. Paul's a guy who spends a great deal of his life not being free in jail as a prisoner. And in the last years of his life, he's not free. He's expecting at any moment the soldiers will come to take him away to his death, and he will be killed for his faith in Jesus. And yet he writes, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's a freedom that we can know and experience and enjoy regardless of the circumstances in our life. How's that possible? Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Why? Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, this is Paul writing this to a group of Christians in a city called Galatia. Um, In Galatians chapter 5, he spends a lot of time talking about freedom and talking about the Spirit. And one of the things he says is every single one of us, part of what it means to be a human being is there is a war raging inside each one of us, an internal battle between what he calls the Spirit and the flesh. And they both are wanting to take our lives in kind of different directions. They want opposite kind of things for us. And so they're trying to get control over our lives and our thoughts and our behaviors, this battle. And so Paul says, at one point, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Because the Holy Spirit's going to lead you into a life of freedom. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you into a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is the solution. I don't know what it is that is a problem that you are facing these days. I don't know what it is in your life you don't feel good about these days. The Spirit is the solution. Whatever is going on in your life, you could use more of this. I could use more of this. The soldiers in Captain John Miller's company could use more. More of this. They, they get sent on what they think is little more than a public relations mission. To go and save Private Ryan. This guy that they find out, he's got three brothers and they've all been killed in action. And now they want to find Private Ryan and get him home to his mom in Iowa, of all places, so that she doesn't lose all of her sons in the war. And as they're on this mission, the soldiers and even Captain Miller, they start to wonder, they start to question, is the mission worth it? Is this man worth it? Take a look. This time the mission is the man. You could say the same thing about the church, couldn't you? Uh, This weekend at all the campuses of Hope, we're starting a new message series over the course of the summer. We're going to call it the Summer of Acts. We're diving into this book in the Bible that tells the story of the birth of the church, the early years of the church as, as it's starting out and growing and spreading all over the Roman Empire. And one of the things that we discover as we dig into this book is it all starts out with Jesus kind of giving his followers a mission. You heard the first eight verses uh, of Acts chapter 1 in our Bible reading. At the end of those verses, we get the mission of the church, verse 8. You will receive power. This is Jesus talking. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the mission of the church, and the mission is the man telling people about Jesus. And the early church, his early followers, they all got to a place where they absolutely believed the mission is worth it. Whatever it might end up costing them, it's worth it to follow Jesus and to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, we have a mission as a church. Reach out to the world around us, share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. It comes from places like Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It comes from places like Matthew 28 and the Great Commission to go and to make disciples of all nations. Reach out to the world around us, share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Let's all say that together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. It's easy to get off mission. And so we have to remind ourselves every once in a while, what is our mission? What is it that we're actually about? And just like the early followers of Jesus who were given a mission, our mission cannot be carried out unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You will receive power, Jesus says to his early followers. He says the same thing to us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The way we carry out this mission is by being witnesses, telling people about Jesus everywhere. Now, this word witnesses, it kind of carries a little bit of baggage in the church these days, doesn't it? I don't know what you think of when you think of witnessing. On Friday night, I was driving around to a different graduation open houses, I was going down oral labor, and on state and oral labor on the corner, there was a guy standing there holding up a sign that said, repent and turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And I think sometimes we think that's what it means. If I'm supposed to be a witness, that's what I have to do. Or I have to take a bullhorn down to the farmer's market and tell people about how much God loves them. Or maybe we think it means we have to be kind of salespeople for Jesus, going around knocking door to door, making cold calls. Can I interrupt your viewing of your favorite soap opera? and tell you about my Jesus. Well, there's a time and place for that. I mean, hope started with Pastor Mike going door to door and inviting people to church. But what, what is Jesus inviting us into when he gives us this mission to be witnesses? I've only had to sit on a witness stand one time in my life in a courtroom. I hope I never have to do it again. It's a real intimidating kind of experience. But what's your job if you're a witness in, in a courtroom? It's just to share your story. Share what you know. You might get asked some questions. You have to be prepared to answer some questions. Sometimes the answer to the question is, I don't know. Same thing is true if you're a witness for Jesus. Be prepared to share your story. You might get asked some questions and be ready to answer those questions with gentleness and respect. And sometimes the answer to the question is, I don't know. It's what it means to be a witness. Share the story. Here's what Jesus means to me. Here's the difference Jesus has made in my life. When's the last time you had an opportunity to do that? It's part of the regular relationships in your life, maybe at home or at work or in, in your neighborhood. You're having a conversation with someone, and the conversation turns to faith, and you are able to say, here's what Jesus means to me. I was reading GQ recently looking for the latest sweater vest fashion trends. <laughs> And I stumbled across an article that caught my attention. It's about Steph Curry. A couple years ago, uh, Steph Curry won the NBA Most Valuable Player Award. Turns out he's the first guy to be a unanimous choice to be the uh, NBA MVP which is a little surprising to me. You you would think maybe Michael Jordan or Shaquille O'Neal or Wilt Chamberlain or somebody big, strong, would. but here's this little guy is the first guy to do it. And he doesn't seem to possess the natural qualities you might expect of an athlete, certainly not a professional athlete. When he was coming out of tiny Davidson College, one scout, this was this scout's assessment of Steph Curry. Far below NBA standard in regard to explosiveness and athleticism, extremely small, needs to add some muscles to his upper body, but appears as though he'll always be skinny. Not a natural point guard that any NBA team can rely on to run a team. Well, this week, Steph Curry and the Warriors will take on LeBron James and the Cavs for the third straight year in the NBA Finals. Turns out he's above NBA standard. And so they're writing this article because there's something unique about Steph Curry. And they're trying to get to the bottom of it. And one of the conclusions that the writer of this article in GQ comes to is it has everything to do with Steph Curry's faith. Every opportunity he gets, he thanks God for the gifts and the talents that he has and for the platform he has to shine a light. Remember what we say when we baptize people here at Hope? We always say our job description, it comes right from Jesus, let your light shine before all people. That they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's being a witness. And none of us do it perfectly. Steph Curry doesn't do it perfectly. But he understands this is part of who he is. The writer asks Steph Curry's mother, Sonia, what do you think the secret is to your son's success? And her response, I thought, was fascinating. She says, in the NBA, and I think it's actually true for athletes in all sorts of levels, in the NBA, a lot of people play with a chip on their shoulder. Like They're always looking for bulletin board material. That's what motivates them. They need to feel disrespected. But Steph has always been fueled only by the love of the game. He doesn't need to be angry. He's not fueled by anger. So what is it that fuels Steph Curry? It turns out to be the fruit of the Spirit, particularly Joy. And if you are a basketball fan at all, if you pay attention to kind of the ebbs and flows of the culture of the NBA, we're, we're kind of coming out of a season in the last five years where it hasn't been a whole lot of fun to watch NBA basketball. But Steph Curry and the Warriors, one of the core principles, core values of their team is joy. And they play with this joyful, childlike exuberance. Not everybody likes it, but it's drawing more fans to this game. They're playing, they understand it's a game. They're playing, and they're doing it with joy. They sit down at a restaurant, the writer and Steph Curry, for the interview, and person after person comes up and interrupts them to want to talk to Steph Curry. And the writer is amazed that Steph Curry doesn't seem to be annoyed by this. In fact, he seems to be genuinely interested in whoever it is that stops by because he understands he's a witness on the court and off the court, not fueled by anger, But fueled by joy. And it seems to me Christians get that backwards quite a bit. Far too many Christians I know seem to be fueled by anger and not by joy. And we try to counteract that because it doesn't seem like that. Jesus seemed to be fueled more by joy than by anger. He never says to his disciples, I've told you these things so my anger can be in you. But he does say, I've told you these things so my joy. Can be in you. And, and so the way we try to counter that at Hope is we say, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. We have a mission and we're going to take that seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So here's an assignment for you this summer. What would it look like for you to be a joyful witness in your life, wherever you might be this summer? At home, at work, at the lake, at the pool, on the golf course, <laughs> at a family reunion? That's probably asking too much. But what would it look like... <laughs> What would it look like for you to be a joyful witness to Jesus? We are called to be witnesses. It's our mission as individuals, but it's also our mission as a congregation. I was talking to a woman recently. She's been around Hope for quite a while now. And she was telling me her grandson got confirmed earlier this month. And her granddaughter was confirmed a couple of years ago. And both confirmation services, she invited family members to come and be a part of the celebration. Well, both times, family members came who do not typically worship anywhere, don't attend church anywhere. And the first time they came, a couple years ago, they were really surprised by what they experienced at Hope. They were surprised by you. You greeted them, you welcomed them, you genuinely seemed to be glad that they were here. The music was really good, the sermon was not awful, they figured that was a fluke. But they came back, they came back again this year, same experience. And so they said maybe we should start going to church on a regular basis. And they don't live close enough to come here, but they do live fairly close to another Hope campus, and they've started attending there, all because you were witnesses and you didn't even know you were being witnesses. It's part of our mission, to be witnesses, to tell people about Jesus everywhere. And one of the ways we are a witness in this community is through something we call garage door events. So Christmas and Easter garage door events open the doors of this place wide, so people can get a a picture of who we are and what we're all about. In the summer, our garage door event is Vacation Bible School, and Hope does Vacation Bible School like no place I've ever seen. It's basically a week long revival for elementary kids and for the middle schoolers and high schoolers and adults who help out. It's a week filled with the Spirit. It's a week a week filled with joy. And one of my favorite parts is the closing session of, of each day of Vacation Bible School. The kids fill up this room and they're singing, they're dancing, they're praising the Lord, jumping up and down, screaming at the top of their lungs. And the parents are all waiting in line in the back watching this. And if they've never experienced Vacation Bible School at Hope before, their eyes are huge and they're kind of looking around saying, is this normal? Is this what's supposed to be happening? And it, it leads to questions. Why would a church spend so much time and energy pulling off a week of vacation Bible school like we do at Hope. And there's all kinds of reasons for it. But the primary reason is because of our mission. It's the way we reach out to the children of this community and to their families and to their parents and to their grandparents. And so every week at the end of Vacation Bible School, the Saturday after Vacation Bible School, is Taste of Hope. And so far, Taste of Hope has only happened at the West Des Moines campus, but we've always thought some year we're going to also have to have Taste of Hope here in Ankeny. So it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us that this is the year to try that out. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the website and go to the Vacation Bible School page register your kids and your neighbors kids and grandkids to be a part of Vacation Bible School register your husbands to be volunteers for Vacation Bible we could the women do a really good job of signing up for this but guys come on we need to get involved as well and uh, there's also games we need people to run the games and to do that with joy uh, snacks there's a science station music dancing fellas if you're uh, if you like to sing and dance like the pirates of penzance you can be part of the dance team or the public safety team there's a role for everyone seriously and if you like to throw parties if you're an event planner Angie Rathman is putting together the team for Taste of Hope and would love to talk to you about how you might be able to help out with that Vacation Bible School and Taste of Hope really important but we got to understand the why behind it why do we do this sort of thing it's our mission we've been given a mission by Jesus and he says carry it out until he comes again we get the mission in Acts chapter one, verse eight, and the very next thing that happens is Jesus ascends into heaven. He leaves. He leaves the Holy Spirit with us, but Jesus leaves. And it's fast and just try to picture what that must have been like for the disciples who are there with Jesus and all of a sudden blast off, I mean, but really slow. I mean, what, how, did, how did that happen? What was that like? And they're just staring into the sky, watching this happen, and a couple angels show up. And the angels say, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Memorial Day weekend, unofficial start of summer. First message in our summer message series. So, of course, this passage makes me think about Frosty the Snowman. You remember Frosty the Snowman? The kids are making the snowman, and they find this hat to put on his head, and it turns out to be a magical hat. Frosty comes alive, and the kids are like they've never had a better time in their life. When they're with Frosty, their sleds go farther than they've ever slid before. When they're with Frosty, they'll be outside playing in the cold and the snow, and they're not complaining about it. They're just having a great time. Nothing better than playing with Frosty the snowman for the kids in that story, but then it starts to get warmer, and there's a gust of wind, and his hat falls off, and Frosty has to leave, and remember how that goes down? He waves goodbye, saying, don't you cry, I'll be back again someday. It comes right from the Bible. (laughs) That's Acts chapter 1, right? The disciples are with Jesus for three years, and they've never experienced life like they've known it when they're with Jesus. When they're with Jesus, it's a miracle a minute. When they're with Jesus, they understand they're part of this mission that's going to change the world, that's going to change culture. They're a part of something that matters. But eventually the time comes in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus has to leave. And he waves goodbye saying, don't you cry, I'll be back again someday. And as I was reading through this story this week, I thought to myself, I think it would have been really easy for the disciples to just kind of say, that's it, pack it up, go back to whatever it was they were doing before Jesus entered their life. And then maybe every five years or every 10 years, they'd get together and have disciple reunions, and they would talk about the good old days, the glory days. Remember that one time when we were hanging out with Jesus? Remember that one time when Peter did that silly thing? And just kind of be nostalgic about it. I mean, why is it that God has to, if they're so excited, Jesus has given us a mission. We're so excited. We're going to go carry out the mission. Why do the angels have to show up? Why do the angels have to say, what are you doing standing here, staring into heaven when you've been given a mission? Go, go, go. Don't get paralyzed by nostalgia. I was thinking about I was maybe feeling a little nostalgic this week. Nostalgia is a fascinating word, comes from two Greek words. Nostos means return home, algos means pain. (laughs) Nostalgia is a form of homesickness. It's this longing, this yearning for a happiness from another time or another place, a place that used to be. And I was feeling nostalgic because a lot of people in this uh, congregation have sons and daughters graduating from high school, and guess what they did? They posted pictures all over my social media page, here's my senior on their last day of high school, right next to a picture of, here's my son or daughter 13 years ago on their first day of kindergarten. And a picture like that makes you feel nostalgic, doesn't it? A longing or yearning for a happiness of a place that used to be. Nothing wrong with nostalgia. It's a good thing. It's an important thing because it it points us to something bigger and greater and more, more wonderful than what we experience in this life. Every time we experience something good in this life, it's a picture of what is still to come. It's a picture of heaven, a picture of eternity. But it's fleeting. It doesn't last. That's why we experience nostalgia. The wise writer of the Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes puts it this way, God has planted eternity in the human heart. God's planted eternity in the human heart. So every day of our lives, we're going to experience some homesickness, some nostalgia. But here's the good news. We have been given a mission by Jesus. Go go and be witnesses. Go and make disciples. Tell people about me everywhere. And as we do that, God builds his kingdom on earth. Up there comes down here. Heaven and earth become one. And we experience the power of God's presence with us more and more all the time. And more and more all the time, we actually start to feel like we're at home. One of the things that surprised me as I rewatched Saving Private Ryan this week One of the central metaphors of the movie is home. Time and again, the soldiers will share stories, humorous and nostalgic, stories about what life was like back home. And as they engage in mission after mission after mission, the language they use is, as scary and dangerous as this might be, as much as I might not want to do it, it's one step closer to going home. And kind of a running joke, I guess if you could call it a joke, throughout the entire movie is, where is Captain Miller's home? And he's keeping it a secret and the soldiers are trying to figure it out and they've got a pool. Whoever guesses is going to win this money in a pool. But Captain Miller keeps it a secret until just the right time when he talks to his soldiers about home. Take a look. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. So my Uh Lord... My... God, my guess is there are people in this room who are feeling a long way from home. And the truth is all of us at certain times in our lives feel that. And so my prayer is as we dive into this book of Acts, as we learn more and more about the Holy Spirit, it would absolutely convince us that one of the big things the Holy Spirit does is draw us closer and closer to home. And that maybe the image we would have in our minds is the image of the prodigal son and his father who waits for his son to return home with arms wide open. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe that's who you are. That's the kind of God you are. You give us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can know how loved we are by you. As we sing the song, as we invite the Holy Spirit to be at work in this world and in our lives, we pray that you would help us feel at home. In Jesus' name, amen.